Would you like to have an exam? <laughs> I could make a good test. <laughs> well, we're finding out that prayer is such a huge, huge subject. I notice that you're asking questions, you're talking between yourselves, some of you talk to me, and you're thinking, and that makes a good class. You're thinking. But prayer, if you live to be 100 years old, you'll not ever know everything that there is about prayer, I'm sure. As I said to you the, the other night, that when I was first asked to preach seven messages on prayer, I thought, how in the world can I spend seven messages on the subject of prayer? My goodness, I have got 15 messages, and, I, and, I've, and I've got some more that I could put together. And it's not so that I can just teach. It's teaching me, because if I don't know it, how on earth am I going to express it to you with conviction? And so a lot of these passages of scriptures have challenged me, and all of them, in fact. And I've had to say, Lord, I don't know what you mean by this. And just study it. We're going to look at Mark chapter 11. I'm going to read verse, beginning with verse 12, and I think I'll read verse 11 to kind of give the situation here. Jesus and his disciples... Mark chapter 11, verse 12, verse 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. So we know that this is the twelve apostles with Jesus. In verse 12, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. I think that's strange. I first read that. Hungry? the Son of God. Why is that put in His Word? Why is that put in the Bible that He's hungry? And I think we can see it as we continue reading. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, He came, and if happily He might find anything thereon. And when He came to it, He found nothing but leaves. But the times of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, that is, talk to the tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples, and this is a key phrase, and his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and brought, bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, It is not written, my... Is it not written, My house shall be a called a, of all nations the house of prayer, that ye have made it a den of thieves? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. Verse 20 says, And in the morning... 
As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. That's unusual too, isn't it? You can cut a tree down and the roots don't dry up immediately. It's the next day. But in verse 21, it says, And Peter calling to remember, saith unto him, Master, and can't you just hear Peter saying this? Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Look at there what happened to him. And Jesus answering saith unto, the, unto them, to all of them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, this is a conclusion, Therefore, I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. This whole passage that I just read to you is dealing with prayer. I've preached and so have others preached messages on, you know, having a tree with just leaves and no fruit. And that's not doing an injustice to the scripture necessarily, but that's not the context. Context is prayer. The context really is the key, and this is the title of the lesson tonight, the key to believing prayer is having faith in God. What a promise that is, and we read there in verse 24. What what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I put a question in my notes. How can I believe this promise? Well, one way is we attempt to limit the promise to what we think is safe and probable and we get in a lot of trouble because we're changing scripture. But let the promise stand. You see, we're all guilty of rationalizing. If something doesn't make sense to us, we try to make sense of it out of reasoning, logic. That's what they've done for centuries and centuries and centuries through the through history of man. Allow it to enter in. Allow this promise to enter in and to enlarge our hearts to the measure of what God's love and power are ready to do for us. Let it enlarge our hearts. Let us let it enlarge our understanding of God to where we can see God's love and power is ready as God's love and power what it's ready to do for us. As was prayed, I think Brother Lowry just prayed, and I don't, I don't. Uh, I don't, uh, what's, it, what's the word I'm trying to censor people's prayer, but he said, you know, we want to be re- we want to do, we want to do what you want us to do. And in order to, to have a successful prayer life, God has to enlarge our hearts, has to enlarge our minds to the measure of what God's love and power are ready to do for us. In most cases, God is, is a small God. God is no small God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He made man. He gave life to man. He sustains everything that's existing today. My next question, though, that I put in my notes here is, where does this, where, where does this kind of faith stem from? In other words, how can I claim this promise? 
And the answer to that is verse 22. Because Jesus simply said to Peter after he said what he did about the, uh, uh, the tree that's withered away the next day, Jesus answered and said to him, Have faith in God. Have you noticed this, that what Peter said, if we understand that, as I think, I, as, if I understand it correctly, Peter was surprised that God Almighty, Jesus Christ the Lord, his Savior, could simply say, be dead, and it was dead. And so the Lord said, have faith in God. You see, this faith that is talking about here is God. This faith in God precedes faith in the promise, our faith in an answer to prayer. The text, you see, the promise is in verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it, Under the tree, no fruit, no man eat fruit thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. That's the promise. You will not grow another moment. You're dead. That was the promise. And the and it preceded preceded to the results that we just read in verse 21 when Lord when when Peter said, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. What I'm trying to say, and hopefully successfully, is the promise depends on the promiser. Isn't that true? That's true in business. The promise of a liar doesn't mean anything. The promise depends on the promiser. Trust and dependence in the person brings trust in what he said or trust in his word. There's no promise. No promise is too big provided you trust the promiser. Peter's problem was not trusting the promiser and he was surprised that the tree was dead. How can we develop the capacity for believing that God gives whatever we ask? I ask myself that question. How in the world can I develop the capacity for believing that God gives whatever we ask? And I refer back to the last lesson. That is, part of the answer is through the branch life, abiding in Him. That branch life and abiding in Him is not automatic. Just because we get saved, that is not automatic. Hopefully we learned that from the last lesson. We develop the capacity for believing that God gives whatever we ask through the personal association with what uh, personal association with that Lord or that Master. Notice he said, and his disciples heard it. Come back the next day, Peter said, Look at there, the tree's dead. They associated with the Lord. That's why the Lord said, Have faith in God. You see, by making God all, that gives me the, that, that helps develop the capacity for believing that God gives me whatever I ask, is by making God all, by a complete life, by a complete life, by opening our whole being continually to our Lord in continuous fellowship. Now, folks, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, these are God's word. These are not Brother Zellner's words. 
pray without ceasing. It'd be well for us to study that passage. Pray without ceasing. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, he says, praying always. Don't put in there praying almost always or praying just, you know, when we're awake or whatever. I don't understand all that. But I think it has to do with the opening our whole being continued to our Lord in continuous fellowship. And by being exposed to the mighty influences which are always at work in the Lord's presence. You know, God is doing things in our lives sometimes and we don't even recognize that He's there. God puts a meal on the table and sometimes, and I'm saying we, not just you, God puts a meal on the table and we don't even rec- sometimes don't even recognize, really recognize the Lord's presence. Now I'm going to put out just a little, this is not even in my notes, but have you ever been around the dinner table at the restaurant with some friends and everybody holds a thumb up? Ever done that? Well, in Texas, that means that the last person to roll the thumb up has got to lead in prayer. It's disrespectful. When I first moved there, I went out to eat with several preachers, and all at once I saw sitting there like this, and I thought, what in the world are they doing? They said, Brother Zander, you've got to pray. I've got to pray. Folks, we don't recognize sometimes the Lord at work and His presence. Now, I want to ask you the question. If this were an exam, this would be on the exam. What is faith? You say, oh boy. <laughs> what is faith? And I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers about prayer, about prayer at all. I admit that. You know it already, of course. You see, if we learn the connection between faith in God and faith in His promise, we can know what faith is. Oftentimes, the definitions we refer to Hebrews 11.1 as the definition of faith. Really, that's not a definition of faith, but there are some things that we should notice there. Because in Hebrews 11.1, it says, and I'm, and I'm taking out, I'm, I'm, you know what the verse is. I don't want to read it, take time to read it. But from that verse, I find that faith is the hand by which we take and appropriate what is offered to us. God offers it, and by faith we take it. I also see in that verse 1 of 11, Hebrews 11, that faith is the ear by which I hear what is promised. I also see in that verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the eye by which I see what is offered me. You see, the power to take depends on whether I hear and see Him. If you're going to give me something, I'm going to have to hear you and see you. And I know you can say, well, I sent it through the mail, but you know, you know what I'm getting at here. This refers, when I say the power to take depends on whether I hear and see Him, that speaks to me in, 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 again in verse 1 when it says, things not seen. The value of the promise, and I'm repeating myself here, depends upon the promiser. It's upon my knowledge of who the promiser is that faith is the, in the promise depends. Now listen, folks. If God said it, 
you can go to the bank, it's going to happen. Right? There's no question about that. Don't be like Peter and say, my, my, look what happened. I prayed about it. Look what happened. I'm surprised. That's not faith. The reason Jesus, this is the reason that Jesus first said to Peter, in verse 22, before he, before he got to the promise in verse 24, have faith in God. You see, our spiritual eyes must be open to the living God. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, our spiritual eyes must be open to the living God. You see, through my physical eyes, I gaze on things. I'm talking about in the, I look out in the beautiful mountains. Boy, I miss those. Snow covered. But as I, as my physical eyes gaze on things, it lets me, in, the, the, it, they influence me and impress my mind. So that when I'm a thousand miles away, I can still see the mountains and the beauty of them. But my mind lies dormant until influenced by my senses. Does that make sense to you? The same is true of faith. Believing God is looking to Him and who He is and allowing Him to reveal His presence, giving Him time to reveal Himself, letting Him make full impression on me as to who He is. This is why, and we're talking about personal closet praying, as we would put it, as I want to put it. This is why I try, before I pray, is to have a time of just complete silence and meditate upon whose presence I'm about to enter. Do I always succeed? No. You see, faith is the eye which God uses to show who He is and what He does. As that which you see lives on in you, and we're talking in a physical sense, so by faith God lives in you. So few of us realize God's presence, much less believe the promises. And I challenge myself as well as you, challenge you when you pray. And when you get through, just, just ask yourself, did I realize that God was here? And we realize that God's every place. I understand He's omnipresent. But do I really realize that? So few of us realize God's presence, much less, much less believe His promises. But you know what? In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, this verse takes on new meaning now. He says in relation, in relation to faith, He said He must believe what? That He is. He's talking to Christians. He must believe that He is. You mean we need to be admonished? That He is? Yes. That's what the Scripture teaches. So faith is the I, which God allows, or uses to show us who He is and what He does. But faith is also the ear through which God always is heard. We are led and we are taught. And an ear open to God will hear him speak. And we're not talking about a vision and things of that kind. 
What I'm talking about is the, is the Word of God, as one of brothers spoke to me a moment ago. As an ear open to God, an ear open to God will hear Him speak. In other words, the Bible becomes a living book, not just words on a page. Check yourself next time you read it. This is a living book. It's living. So it's an ear open to God will bring deeds, not just thoughts, if it is allowed to influence us. The mountains so influence me that unless Brother Spielman has something else for us to do tomorrow, you know what I want to do? I want to take a trip over the mountains. Because they, they do influence me. And it brings forth the deed of getting in the car, paying $2.50 a gallon, should good be $4, couldn't it? And taking a trip to the mountains. That's how much it influences me. But an ear open to God will bring also deeds, not just thoughts, if he's allowed to influence us. So when faith is in full exercise, we can appropriate him and his blessings if faith is full ex- in full exercise. Now to receive faith depends entirely on one's spiritual perception. Blessings are often passed over because of our lack of, our lack of perception. Folks, our view must be vertical and not only horizontal. Vertical, I'm talking about our view. God's here and I'm here. Because if you, if you go horizontal all the way, you can become so discouraged and so depressed until you go, be, you go and see the psychologist. Our view must be vertical, not only horizontal. And I've just put down this little example. You, you, remember, you remember Elisha and the Syrians? 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, 16, 17. <laughs> Elisha served, looked out, he said, man, we had not got a chance. <laughs> Elisha talked to the Lord about it. Servant looked out there, and what did he see? He saw the mountainside just full of fiery chariots. You see, his perception was wrong. This is why the Lord said to Peter in our passage, have faith in God before he gave the promise in verse 24. Faith is not only the eye and the ear, but also faith is surrender. It's a yielding of yourself to that which you hear from God. A yielding to God himself is allowing him to master you. Is it easier? Is it is an is it an easy thing to be mastered, or to give up our independence? No, it's not. So faith is surrender, yielding to your yielding of yourself to that which you hear from God, but faith is also fellowship, and fellowship means sharing. You give yourself up to God's influence, and He who makes you promises. You become linked. You become attached to him by his promises, by his words. And so in fellowship, it becomes easy and natural to believe God's promises related to prayer. Let me illustrate this. Fifty-five years ago, my wife and I got married. She's that old, I'm not. (laughs) But you see, my wife doesn't have to wonder if I'm 
if I'll stay married to her. You know why? Because I vowed that I would. You see, the prayer of faith is rooted in the life of faith. I'm trying to put the two together. The prayer of faith is rooted in the life of faith. This is why, going back to our last lesson, John 15, 7, when Jesus said, Divide in me. John 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. A surrendered person lives a life of fellowship with the Lord. And a branch life, as we described in the last lesson, is a natural relationship. It's very unnatural for the Christian to be out of fellowship with his Lord. Sometimes we get that all turned around. Well, I'm just human. Well, the natural thing is to have fellowship with the Lord. It's very unnatural for the Christian to have to not uh, uh, for the Christian to be out of fellowship with the Lord. Our experiences of the power of prayer are so limited. They really are, folks. Why? Why is this? Well, I put down this answer at least. We have little or no understanding of the connection between the life of faith and the prayer of faith. We, we divide that. The life of faith and the prayer of faith are the same. They work together. What do we do when we desire something from God? We petition Him. We ask Him. And we fix our entire concentration on the promise and try to grasp that and try to grasp that promise in faith. We got it backwards. And so often we do that, we have no success. We give up and we conclude that it's beyond the power of our faith. And yet Jesus said before he gave the promise, have faith in God. In other words, look to the God of the promise more than to the thing promised. Before we cry out, come into his presence. Before we petition God, come into his presence. You see, medically, we must exercise the whole body, or most of the time, we must exercise the whole body in order to build up a part of the body. So the exercise... To exercise the life of faith first, and then we exercise the prayer of faith. The cure of weak faith is an invigorating of our whole spiritual life in the fellowship with God. The cure of faith, I'm sorry, the cure for weak faith is an invigorating of the whole spiritual life in the fellowship with God. You see... Being in fellowship with God is not just coming to church. It's not just daily Bible reading. It's a whole life. When you and I got saved, we got saved all over, right? Now, I recognize that we're depraved human beings. I, deprive, I, I know we're sinners saved by the grace of God. But we don't often perceive life like that or, faith like, or the faith life like that. You see, live with the Lord and it'll be easy to grasp His promises. The person who knows and trusts God finds it easy to trust his promises. How do I know this? Well, let me give you some Old Testament saints uh, illustrate this. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. 
Talking about uh, Abraham, he says he believed in the Lord. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 4, gives us the history of the promise was fulfilled. You see, God's revelation gave the promise its living power to enter the heart. And God's promise will be to us what God himself is to us. And I want to read that again. God's promise will be to us what God himself is to us. The man who walks with God and falls on his face, as we discovered the other night, last night, before him will receive God's promises or God's promise. Now I want us to go back to the text. Back in Mark. Mark chapter 11. Verse 24. This is the promise. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. Folks, I'm here tonight to say to you that that promise is true. Is it not? It's what God said. Let me ask you another question. Is it literally true? Yes. Jesus had said this before in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, and also Matthew chapter 17, verse verse 20. That was the boy that was healed with the dumb spirit. And both those references speak about believing first in God and then believe His promise. You see, it, it, it is the human tendency to say, if it be God's will. And that lets us off the hook. And it lets God off the hook. Well, you don't have to let God off the hook. If He said it, He's going to do it. If you meet the conditions, He's going to meet His conditions. He's going to do what He said He would do. This breaks the force of the statement. And to me, that's a very dangerous thing to do when you break the force of a statement that God made. You see, this is, way, this is God's way of sharing with us, as we talked about the magnificence of prayer. This is God's way of sharing with us His power. God wants to, or, uh, he wants to share His power with us. And it's only when we fully trust Him and believe Him that that happens. You think your faith is weak. What what would you have been like when Moses came to the Red Sea? (laughs) All he could see was water and the Egyptian army was behind him. But God said, raise your rod. And what happened? See, separated. What about the churches recorded, recorded in the book of Acts? They shared God's power. What about Paul and Silas? I'm sorry, yes, Paul and Silas in Philippi, in the jail. God's shared his power with them. What about Peter and John when he discovered that the gates were open? You see, there's no true believing without the discernment of God's will first. And this sometimes is where we, where we mess up because we don't find God's will first. Now, I recognize that we can't always find God's will. It's not because of God's unwillingness to give it to us. We just don't find it. But it's hard to believe in something if we don't know that it's God's will. Now, that's a different, that's a different lesson altogether. Because sometimes, Lord, I, I just say, Lord, I don't know what your will is. I learned a long time ago, and this is not even in my notes. 
But I made hospital calls. I think I shared this with some of uh, somebody the other night. When I make hospital calls, when I was pastor, I used to stand by the bedside and I'd say, Lord, heal this one. I didn't say it just like that, but Lord, lift this one up. But you know what broke me of saying that? Is because when that person died, if they died, I had a family say, well, Lord didn't hear your prayers, did he? That's humiliating. So when I stand behind when I stand behind the hospital bed, I don't know what God's will is there. So I pray, Lord, your will be done. But Lord, if you can find it within your will, and you need somebody to ask on the part of this one that's lying here, then I want to be that one and I ask you to raise them up. Don't kid me. We don't know what God's will is, do we? In those cases. You see. We'll start back in here. There's no true believing without the discernment of God's will first. And this comes by surrendering to His Word. And also the Spirit's guidance and the Spirit's influence. All right, that's the promise. I think it's true. Verse 24. But then there's another phrase right there in that same verse. He said, when you pray. You see, it's in prayer that these things are, are to be asked for. And receive from God. It's in prayer. God can give us the assurance that He's answered the prayer even while we're praying it. Even though it may be delayed for months, years perhaps. When you pray. It's while in God's presence. And again, I use that term purposely. It's while in God's presence that our faith rises to take hold of what first appeared to be too difficult. My, the times that some of us have prayed, and even while we were praying, our faith built and built until we came to the conclusion, this is not too difficult. This can really happen. How? In our prayers. You see, in prayer, in prayer, our motives are tested. Can we ask it in Jesus' name and for His glory? If you're going to use Jesus' name, you better be sure that what you're asking is the right use of His name. If I'm going to give you access to my bank account, which has got a dollar bill in it, I think, but if I'm going to give you the access to my bank account, I'm going to be sure of your honesty. Because... I want you to use my name, but I want you to use it right. So can we ask it in Jesus' name and for His glory? In prayer, we wait for the Spirit's leadings as to what we should ask in Romans eight twenty six, Because there's sometimes we just, we, we just don't have the words to express it, right? We just don't know how to get it out. And yet in chapter 8, verse 26 of Romans, it tells us that the Spirit helps us in that. And he speaks words that we can't even utter. Isn't that wonderful? And in prayer, we become aware of our lack of faith. And we gain faith, though, to persevere. In other words, in prayer, our faith grows. And at God's throne, faith is given to believe. Again, I'm talking about when, the phrase there, when you pray. There's another word in that verse 24, and that's believe. 
and I won't labor this much because we've already talked most about it, we're asked to believe that we receive the very things that we ask for. Better be sure you're right. You better be sure you're asking for the right things. You see, there's no hint that God will give something else. And I want to just quickly turn over to Luke chapter 11, verse 11. And I was reading this again this afternoon later. My statement is there's no hint that God will give us something else or will give something else in Luke chapter 11 and beginning with verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then bring evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The Lord desires to give things to us. Believe. And then there's another phrase in that same verse, that you receive them. You notice that's present tense. Believe now. Now, let me just simply say this in reference to that phrase, that you believe them. It may be later that we receive in actuality. This is what a lot of God's people, including myself, missed. And that is, I didn't know that I could receive it later in reality. It is given now through prayer and received later. And I'm going to have a, I'm going to touch on this in another lesson down the road. But you see, sometimes things that God wants to give us and we ask for it, we're not prepared for the answer. And it may take six months, it may take six years, it may take 20 years for us to get to the place to where He can give us what we've asked for, and He's already promised it, and He would give it to us. It's given now and received later. And there ought to be a word of thanks. When that happens, say, yes, Lord, thank you. It's mine. And the last phrase of that verse, verse 24, he says, and you shall have them. In faith it has been given, and it will become ours in actual personal experience. And I put a question here to this point, and that is, does that mean continue praying? Sometimes we need no longer pray. Paul prayed about removing the thorn of the the flesh, and God simply told him, "My, my, my grace is sufficient for thee. God's answer is ready to break through at once. And so praise Him, or praise should follow. Persevering prayer. We're going to have a whole lesson on that. Persevering prayer. Most of us don't know much about that. I didn't when I started studying. Persevering uh, prayer. Persevering prayer. You see, only God knows when the time is exactly right for that blessing you've asked for. You don't know it. As Brother Spillman and I were talking about the other night, we're in our society, in the Western civilization, I should say, we want things right now. I've gone in the store, you know, to get things, and they don't have it. And I said, they said, well, when do you need it? I said, yesterday. 
That's, that's the way we are, isn't it? Only God knows when the time is exactly right for the believing, for the blessing that you've asked for. And so just because you don't get it the next five minutes or the next minute or the next day or the next, next month does not mean that your prayer has not been answered. But I do believe God will give us assurance to the point we can say, thank you, Lord. You see, Elijah knew that rain would come, but he prayed how many times? Seven times. <laughs> he knew it was going to rain, but he prayed seven times. You see, faith is given from heaven, and patience is received on earth. Let me say that again. Faith is given from heaven, and patience is received on earth. And folks, I'm the one of the most patient people in all the world. If you believe that, I've got a, mount, I've got a mountain I'd like to sell you. <laughs> My conclusion is this. We seek gifts, but God wants us to seek Him first. Did you get what I'm saying? We, re- we, we, we seek gifts. We make petitions for gifts, but God wants us to seek Him first. And to us, prayer often is a way to get things. I addressed that the other night. It's often a way to get things. And that's not all bad. But Jesus viewed prayer as a means of drawing ourselves up into God's presence. Our perspective on prayer is to get things. There's nothing wrong with that because we have that in the promises. But Jesus taught his disciples that it was a way in which it drew themselves into God's very presence. Isn't that something? We have needs. They may be spiritual needs. They may be physical needs. And that's the way that God gets us into his presence. Lord, I have a need. I'm here to ask it. You see, we want to stand and cry. Jesus would have us first enter into his Father's presence and realize that we are his friends and his children. And my, if you just try to practice this before you start asking, just understand that that God, we are his friend. Great compliment. We are his children. Folks, we're we're not illegal aliens. We're his children. He loves us. He wants the best for us. And we can enter into this abiding and believing life. We can enter into that abiding and believing life. And as the disciples viewed the fig tree in our story, Jesus taught them that they could have that same powerful life. He used that example of the fig tree to teach Peter and the rest of them what a powerful life they could have. But he said, have faith in God. And then he gave the promise. All this is meant for every child of God. There's no exceptions. Folks, I want to tell you, this is within our reach. This is really within our reach. So I say this. Take time to bow before our God. Wait upon him to reveal himself. 
And let your soul stand in holy awe and worship Him. And as He takes possession of you, the prayer of faith will crown your faith in Him. Pastor, turn it back.